now, it's time for... No, I don't live in my parents' basement. A show that covers comics, movies, music, pop culture, and everything in between. Here's your host, B.J. Kennard and Adam Dellinger. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I am B.J. Kennard. I'm Adam Dellinger. All right, so today we got some stuff to cover off on. Uh, one, we're going to do my daughter's homework for her uh, on the podcast. It'll all make sense in a second. Uh, also, there has been an Ant-Man Thanos uh uh, not a not a theory. Right? Maybe it's a theory. What would you call it? I would say that it's a theory only because people are running with it now. And what does it take to have a comic book or movie theory? Now everything is so tight lipped. I, I think once you hit a thousand people online or something, talking I about guess. it, I guess you just got You got to have a username on Reddit and just write one thing, <laughs> and then it's done. Uh, and then we'll also talk about uh, some major X stuff and our uh, Power Five this week is going to be the top five best concerts that we've been to. Shows, concerts, so like would, would a festival count? I don't have a festival on my list. I was just curious. I don't have a festival either. More so, I picked individuals where I left it going, oh my goodness gracious. Saw Better Than Ezra at the 106.5 The In Weenie Roast one time. That oh. would count as a festival, right? It would. Not on the list at Not going to be on that. That's <laughs> super surprising. Sorry, Better Than Ezra. <laughs> all right, so we're going to start this week with... Uh, doing some help for my daughter. My daughter is uh, about to be 16. She's a, a sophomore in high school, and she takes an AP class called AP Capstone. And, it, and what it is is it's just like this cool year-long uh, thing that just is uh, presentations every week to where you get a topic, you got to learn about the topic, and at the end of the week you got to talk about it for like three or four minutes or something like that. There's time constraints, and then you got to be able to cite sources. You do a, a presentation on the overhead as well. You've got pictures, you've got examples, all this stuff. It's like you're doing a board report or something. Uh, last week it was uh, urban myths, so she had to do an urban myth and talk about it. Week before that it was conspiracy theories. She had the Illuminati, or did she? And then the week before that was like fear. So every week it's something cool. This week, and she has to present this on Friday, they were all assigned a superhero. As soon as this happened, she immediately texts me too. You get a superhero and you have to explain why your superhero is the greatest superhero there is. No one's supposed to know who anybody else has, but she does know one of her friends. And we'll talk about that one too. I will tell you, no one got Superman. The teacher said, not doing Superman. Because I think that's just too easy for people. My daughter got Batman. Who do we have in the room? The biggest Batman fan I know. Okay, so where do you want to start? Where where should we start? Because uh, so the question is, is Batman the greatest superhero there is? Yes. Here's why. That's we're done. There we go. <laughs> it's pretty simple to okay. me. All right. Anyways, I, I'm going to start this with something that probably won't be in the presentation that your your daughter has okay do you know this strange trend maybe it's always been a trend but i sort of think like this now especially that i'm an adult so i feel like this trend's only 20 years old but it probably predates that by some you know two thousand years or something sure when somebody commits some weird egregious crime mm -hmm. like some ed gein jeffrey dahmer type sure. just out there type stuff yeah the first question that I ask myself is, what happened to them when they were a child, right? Okay. Okay. And more times than not, BJ, isn't there always some sort of weird traumatic experience? And, yeah. a, lot, and a lot of criminals, you're not even criminals, just people, people. that are 
that considered a little left of center. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying Jeffrey Dahmer's a little left of center. I'm yeah. saying he's way out there. Yeah. But you understand the point. Sure, yeah. A catalyst. Right. Batman, Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. experienced the most... Oh, spoiler alert, same person. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. So, Batman experienced the most traumatic thing that could have happened to a young person. He saw Justice League. <laughs> yes, late yeah. late in life, yeah. and it ruined him. <laughs> so when Thomas and Martha Wayne are murdered right in front of him, yeah. right, and there are several different versions of how this happened. I believe year one, the year one version, Bruce is at fault somehow in, in most versions. Yeah. Of, of why they're leaving early, why they're taking the back alley, like whatever it is. Like every origin story differs slightly, yeah. but Bruce is always partially responsible for why they're leaving the show early and why they're going the direction they did. And then, of course, Joe Chill, uh, who had a voice that sounded like glass shattering, right? Murders Thomas and Martha right in front of Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. That's point A. Because Bruce could have taken that and became something entirely different. He could have been the criminal. That's right. More on that in a minute, because uh, for Sammy's sake, your daughter there, I don't want to point out that maybe Batman's not a hero. That's a whole other argument. Batman's, to me, really the greatest anti-hero. Okay. But just for sake of this argument, we'll we'll stay there. He, He overcomes whatever it is that drives people with that sort of traumatic experience mm-hmm. that I would say the majority of people can't handle. Like, I don't know emotionally if I'm strong enough to handle something like that. Sure, your parents, the people you love more than anyone in the world, right. brutally killed in front of you. The only people in the world. Yeah. You know, you got Alfred, too. Yeah, sure. So he's he's raised by Alfred. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any superpowers to speak of at all. That's right. Once again, that, too, is debatable, but we're going with the the Kane model yeah. right here. We're going with the the Batman. Yeah. He has no superpowers. He wins with his mind. He does. Right? The coolest part about reading a Batman comic also lends itself to why he's the greatest superhero of all time. You can read... Uh, let's. How long is the uh, average Batman comic? 10, 12 pages? You can read 10 pages. Let's say it's a 12-page comic. You're on page 10. You can sort of see that the thing's wrapping up, mm-hmm. and you can sort of see that Batman's going to win. Historically, the last two pages of a Batman comic are two pages that explain how Batman had the whole thing figured out from the get-go right. and how it was never going to be a threat. Yeah, He is the greatest tactician mm-hmm. of all time. World's greatest detective. He has a means to not only take down but destroy every member of the Justice League. And I will tell you... Because, I mean, I know Batman as much as a regular fan does, but the very first thing I told Samantha when she said this was her thing, I said, hey, he has on his person at any given point the ability to take out Superman if Superman were to go bananas. Uh, Whoever it happens to be, he's already got that taken care of and locked away. So he could defeat everybody in the Justice League right now, so in front of any other hero that's been distributed to you or to those kids from your teacher— he already has the means to beat them, and if he can beat them, he is better than them. Right, and so check this out. He never has to implement that. Not in any canon story. Yeah. Yes, he's taken down Superman, and he's had to defeat the fight. Everybody, right? Right. But in most canon, he never has to utilize any of that. It's not that he doesn't have to utilize it. Batman has a code. Batman has a code. Life over everything else. Batman mm-hmm. does not kill. Now... Once again, I'm not going to go into the anti-hero deal where 
yes, you're in traction and you'll never be able to move again because Batman will do that to you. Sure. <laughs> it's a product, product of the job. Yes. he'll Don't rob that store next time. Right. He'll Don't you, you jaywalk. <laughs> he'll turn you into a vegetable. Yeah. But he does have a code. What's interesting about the code, let's break this down on like a weird psychoanalysis level. Okay. He lost his parents. Yep. Who taught him that code? Because Alfred who raised him for his entire life, never guided him in any particular direction. If you if you pay attention to Bruce Wayne, if you pay attention to Batman, Alfred gives suggestions, okay. but always gives Bruce the choice. Bruce has always made the right decision every single time. When he hasn't made the right decision, he has done some tactical deal to correct it before it ever becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. Once again, you can argue that too. Then you go back to the Joker and did he actually create his worst villain? Right. Has he prolonged that whole deal? Batman is also the greatest superhero because of all of those things as well. Think about this for a minute. Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. It's one place I like to go anytime. Great, great story. Yeah, it's a fantastic story. Batman could have eliminated the Killing Joke 20 years before it happened. He's had multiple chances to kill the Joker, but because he doesn't want to violate his code, he doesn't do it. So his moral compass is about as straight and narrow as you can be. Furthermore, outside of the costume, BJ, Bruce Wayne is the ultimate humanitarian. Mm -hmm. The ultimate humanitarian. Yeah, dating some girls that others might not date because they're not quite as attractive. Different type of humanitarian? Yeah, but think about this for a minute. I know what you're (laughs) doing with that joke because I was going to bring that up too. Batman can't have a relationship, whether it's Vicki Vale or Selena Kyle or whatever. We learned it in 50. That stuff, it will interfere with the way that he operates. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't allow any outside interference. If you're a dude listening to this podcast right now, Show of hands how many of you have made a really stupid decision because of a female. Boom. Sure. That's everybody. And females can say the same thing. Dumb decisions that they've made because they've been blinded by some dude. Absolutely. Yeah, if you're into the same sex thing or whatever. Your love interest can ruin the way that you think. Judgments, yeah. Batman doesn't allow that. And I was thinking about this after you told me she'd been given the assignment. Who was the most comparable person to Batman? And we discussed this before, too. It's Iron Man. Yeah. Tony Stark constantly makes poor decisions as Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. Bruce doesn't do that. Who's ever seen Bruce drunk? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things that doesn't happen. A lot of people call Batman, too, a masked vigilante. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, masked vigilante... I'm not a comic book historian, but I'm guessing that that phrase, that that term... Started in Batman? Started with Batman. Yeah. And I, and he's not a vigilante. He's not a vigilante at all. He's not on the payroll for the Gotham Police Department, but he might as well be. Mm-hmm. Let's just go semantics at this point, which may not even be the right word. Let's go cool factor. Okay. Anybody got a cooler costume than Batman? I hadn't seen one. Dude's got the best car in the superhero world. He does. By every that thing has been reimagined a thousand times, and yeah. every time it's cool. Yeah. Every single time, he's got the the coolest plane, the Batwing. Yeah. Once again, reimagined a thousand times. Always the one thing he has that's probably not as cool as it could be is best sidekick. Oh, Robin. Like depending on the Robin though. 
Like well, Dick, New Fifty Two, Dick Grayson, or Damian Wayne. Like that's cool. Yeah, but he's also one of the few people who actually has a, a legitimate sidekick. Yeah. No, who who really has that these days? You've got people who have people that they will work with, but actually to have a ward and and train them under you. I don't know. Superman didn't have it. Flash doesn't have it. Uh, Wonder Woman didn't have it. Tony Stark doesn't have it. Like I don't know of another one that has a legitimate sidekick. Let's say that Batman is also the most believable superhero, only because he doesn't have superpowers. So that's fair, right? And a suit of armor. Right. Like he doesn't have that. He's not a mutant. He wasn't mm-hmm. bitten by a radioactive anything. He's mm-hmm. not from another planet. Yeah. You know, so he has that going for him. But he's also believable because he's tragically flawed. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking about a dude that fights crime, not because he wants to change the city that he lives in, but because he's hung up on that traumatic event that happened to his parents. Yeah. However, being hung up on that tragic event also keeps the city safe. By day, he's a humanitarian. By night, he cleans the streets up with, like, whatever martial law it is that he has. Sure. But think about this, too, from a, once again... Let's do some psychoanalytics, if you will. Batman is the biggest egomaniac on the face of the planet and knows it. And and still doesn't let it get in his way. Let me give you an example. Dick Grayson, Mm -hmm. Flying Grayson's, whole deal. Let's go straight up Burt Ward era Robin. Sure. Okay? All he wants to do is have Batman train him so that he can do what Batman does. Right. I don't know if anybody's ever paid attention. Batman never trains anybody. He doesn't. You can come do stuff with me, or you can not do anything at all. And I guess that's under the guise of I'm teaching you how to fight crime. But after Dick Grayson leaves, becomes Nightwing, Batman doesn't like Nightwing interfering in anything with Gotham. He doesn't want to fight beside him, doesn't want to fight with him, and it's always under the guise of, you're going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. You protect yourself. I have no self-worth. I'm worth nothing to nobody. But he's really doing it because he's an egomaniac. Okay. But he's able to control it by saying, hey. Make it seem like he's looking out for somebody else. Right. So even his tragic character flaws, he's able to mask in a way that makes other people feel good. I got you. So philanthropist during the day is Bruce Wayne. Doesn't make poor decisions. Right. At night, not a masked vigilante, but a superhero. Right. Uh, With that, amazing gadgets. Mm-hmm. Which he is, and that's the thing that is he making most of that stuff? Because I know you've got Lucius Fox, who is designing some stuff, you know, from Wayne Industries or whatever. But with that, does that does that make him Tony Stark esque with his ability to make stuff that no one else has ever seen or could make? I've always been under the impression that like Wayne Enterprises, mm-hmm. way bigger operation than Stark Industries. Like, way bigger. Okay. I, I've seen that described as a trillion-dollar operation. I got you. Uh, that, that doesn't make sense to me, but it has been described that way. Well, think about the movie, the stuff that he had in the movie. Well, I mean, Lucius, he, he's got an army of people. I'm pretty sure that Lucius is just the guy that shows him how to use the remote control. Right. Well, and, But how do people not know that they're making stuff for Batman? Military contracts, dude. So they're just making it, but then when but you would see it show up, and now it's black. You go, oh, we made that. Did Batman steal that from the military? And that the, would that be their thought process then? My way around this was: Does Batman ever make any of his own stuff? No. So so he doesn't so he doesn't have that going for him. But he does have the intellect, and this is the part that I thought that 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 Sammy should focus on 
for making him the greatest superhero ever because he is the world's greatest detective. Yep, that's the tactician thing I was yeah. talking about. Yeah, and you know we just celebrated this week uh, Detective Comics 1000. And in it, a whole bunch of different stories. And Detective Comics is always the one where you get to see that, where a Batman comic is a little bit more comic booky. Detective is more uh, of a story-driven one, not necessarily that because he's going to fight some abnormal, like, mutant-looking something or other. Like, that's a giant man-bat. Might not be in that issue. Well, for example, like the Silver Age Detective Comics, like, if you would have taken the Batman costume and the Batman name out of those comics and threw in a dude in a trench coat with a magnifying glass and turned it into straight Detective Noir story, Mm -hmm. it would have fit. Right. Because it's him looking for clues and piecing together. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought that that's one of the major ones, just because he can figure out anything. Can Superman figure out anything? The answer to that is no. Because who does Superman turn to? Heck, in the in the latest issue of Justice League that's happening right now, they Superman even brings reference to the fact that Bruce is going to figure this out. Right. Bruce is on this to figure it out. Or Bruce figured this out. Superman doesn't do that. So it automatically gives him a leg up on Superman. Also, at any given time, Batman has the the greater good of society as a whole and protecting people as his main I mean that's his main goal mm-hmm. oftentimes you know to a fault yeah like the thing that happened in the uh, the thing that happened in the last movie where he sacrifices himself yeah that at the all- end of uh, Batman uh, with the Bane movie yeah the Bane movie uh, Dark Knight rises. rises. So Dark Knight Rises. That almost ended poorly. Like, really poorly. Mm-hmm. And that's like every Batman story. But the whole idea is, it's the benefit of society as a whole. You're also leaving out... I think the part about him just being flat out cool is important. Yeah. Because that's what makes people want to buy the comic book. The logo looks awesome. The bat signal looks cool. Mm-hmm. He has a great costume. Give me another animal-based named comic book character that's cool. Oh, uh, you can say Spider-Man and, and yeah, Spider. You know, Spider-Man's probably the only real answer. Black Widow. Yeah, she's. I mean, is she cool though? I think Avengers have made has made her cool, but as a whole, it's not like she was selling books before any of this. Because I had asked Sammy too. I said. Can you take this from the perspective of, is he the greatest hero to us because he is the most widely known character? His stuff sells more merch than anyone. His movies, he's had, uh, like, what is it, eight movies Yep. uh, based upon just him. He's also been featured in two, uh, like that. Like, are we talking about that? Are we just talking pure based in the comics and abilities and so for what all the kids are doing are just straight comic version you know to us i think it's an easy one to do you know more merch all that you know if you if you shown his logo to uh, outside of a tribe that hasn't seen society in a hundred years i think people are going to know oh that's batman yeah but to that point also bj they haven't done a movie a television show or anything uh merchandise included that doesn't have some basis in the comic books i mean i mean all of it they don't really i mean batman's not like a spawn 
where you take the character and then you can just build any story around it. There's enough source material there to where you can just rely on all of it. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that I own a lot of really, really bad Batman comic books. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of them. Batman is one of those comic books, and I've heard that X-Men's like this too, so you can tell me if it's true or not. Batman doesn't have a run that's bad for longer than four or five months. I mean, at some point that at some point it's back on the rails. Yeah, you don't really get an extended period of time in which Batman is unreadable. It doesn't happen. Yeah, but at least back in the '90s, '80s, and '90s with the X Men, I would say that was true. You had Chris Claremont doing a lot for that, and so I would agree with that. That um, you know, I I haven't been up on the latest Batman. I I have every issue of the latest run. We're up to like fifty or almost sixty at this point. I haven't read one issue, unfortunately. I'll just I will you know sit down one week and I'll knock them all out and I'll get up to up to par. But the run before this, I really enjoyed, and I and the run before that, and I wasn't much of a Batman fan before that. Like I had books, but I just I just never really collected. I wasn't much of a DC guy, and and you know what I knew was Batman was a good detective. Later on, I learned out learned that he was the greatest detective, or is. He was wicked good at martial arts, and I feel that's that's something he's trained by the League of Assassins. Yep. And Ray Shalgul, or however you're supposed to say his name, I think either or potato potato. Mm-hmm. So his fighting is top. Let, let's say out of all this, let's say if there's ten superheroes out there, where is Batman in the greatest hand to hand fighter? Better fighter than Superman, no doubt. Better fighter than Aquaman, no doubt. Same for Green Lantern. Same for Flash. Wonder Woman was the one that I thought would probably best him just based upon she was born and raised fighting and is older than him anyway. Oliver can roll. Oliver Queen? Green Lantern can fight. But, well, um... I mean Green Arrow, I'm sorry. Green Arrow can fight. I think uh, Bruce is uh, better. All right, so are Wonder Woman and Bruce pretty comparable, but Wonder Woman in front of him maybe? Yeah, probably. What about, are we just doing DC? I don't care. Where's Spider-Man in that? Not as good a finder as Batman. He's, because I, like, I've never seen comics where Peter Parker was in the dojo, you know, learning how to fight. Oh, yeah, or, at, or at the Avengers Academy, where Captain America would show him how to fight or whatever. And it is League of Assassins, like a, you know, millennials, you know, old yeah group of martial arts with a protected martial art style that only they know yeah so it's it's the real deal holyfield when it comes to that so when it comes down to it outside of like shang chi or whatever his name is that marvel's gonna be making a movie out who is a martial artist or iron fist heck i'd take i would take batman over iron fist just i just feel like he would do better so you've got a guy who is a better fighter than anyone for the most part so i feel like that puts him a leg up on some now if he went toe-to-toe with superman without any kryptonite Yes, Superman kills him. But Batman's already thought about that. So that fight can't happen. That's the tactician part. And that is why I think he's the greatest, because if he gets presented with a scenario that he doesn't has it that he hasn't already thought of, he's able to comprehend it quickly and figure out what to do. And he probably has something available to him. I didn't plan on it for this. I planned on it for something else. I'll use it for this, and now I'm gonna be safe. Just as an example, there have been Comic storylines involving the Penguin. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite detective comic stuff involves the Penguin because the Penguin is this, 
you know, so he's supposed to be a major villain. Right. But honestly, he's he's a extortionist, a money launderer. He's just he's a he's a crook, mm-hmm. you know, and he's only after having a great deal of money. Sure. He, he always makes it out like he's after this great deal of power, but that's not true. Just wants the cash. Dude just wants a boatload of money. There have been countless times in detective comic stories, and anytime there's a penguin involvement in detective comics, you can pretty much take this to the bank. Several times you'll learn on those last pages, like I was saying earlier, mm-hmm. that Batman knew how everything was going to unfold. Yeah. He'll let crimes happen to implicate more people. I got you. Uh, I mean, it's that sort of... Yeah. You ever met somebody that can think that way? That can think around things? Chess players. Yeah, I'm not wired that way. That's yeah. the... Yeah. That the Bobby... Uh, Bobby, Bobby Fisher. G- Bobby Fisher, yeah. yeah. It's the Bobby Fisher deal, where you can see things 15 moves ahead. Yeah. Batman does that. That's true. And that's why I feel like... If my daughter has to sum this up in three minutes, let's say, that's got to be one of the top things she mentions. Statistician, got that figured out. That's got to be his greatest superpower if he had a power. That's what's going to let him win everything. Yep. Right? Yep. Beyond that, fighting skills, philanthropy, and the greater good. And I would also mention that he was tragically flawed and didn't let that interfere in who he became later in life. Because that's something you can't overlook that. Yeah. You just can't. Like, you don't know if his, if, if Bruce Wayne's childhood situation happened to you or me, mm-hmm. 35, 40 years, whenever. Yeah. I mean, there's a high likelihood that we're not here. And yes, it's a, it's a fictional character. Yeah. However, there are people in which that's, I mean, look at people like Elizabeth Smart or whoever you want to take that have gone on to accomplish great things by mm-hmm. overcoming whatever, you know, past trauma they had in their life. Sure, look all, at the Kardashians. Exactly. You know, I was going to say all of our soldiers that <laughs> deal with PTSD. Oh, but yeah, yes, you know, yes. So, yes. So tra- I was very close. <laughs> tragically flawed and has been able to overcome that uh, for the greater good. But I don't think, I think your daughter's a cakewalk here. I hope so. So uh, her, her friend Riley, on the unfortunately, she got, and I think this is a bad deal from the teacher, Teacher wasn't giving out Superman. Whoever got Shazam, go to podcast two. I've done your homework for you there. <laughs> uh, and really, I, I, I said, did you get Shazam? Because if so, we've got this in the bag. If somebody got Shazam and they intentionally, the, the instructor there intentionally left out Superman, there's a problem. Like if Shazam's allowed to be in this project. Well, it could be because she doesn't know. Oh, yeah. You know, she might do Shazam because he's got a movie coming out this week, which you can go to last week's podcast and see how it was. Um, but uh, her friend got Catwoman. Selena Kyle. Selena Kyle. And I was like, oh, that is terrible. And I feel like that's just a bad beat from the teacher not realizing that there's no one, number one, not a superhero. Nope. Become, it has become an antihero, though. But you can't put her in the same conversation with, heck, I mean, 50 other people. There are 50 other better heroes I could probably name before you even get to Catwoman. Okay, well, let's... let's but now, but unfortunately, her friend Riley has to get up just like my daughter does and explain why Catwoman is the greatest hero ever. Now, could she spin it and do it from our perspective of people in this world and the fact that Catwoman has become its own cosplay 
Like, it's a brand. Catwoman is a brand. And so maybe you take it from that angle, and you know, thanks to Halle Berry from one of the worst movies ever. We should do a Power Five of the worst superhero movies ever at some point. Okay. That just made me think of that. Next week. Yeah, and so maybe is that the best way to spin this assignment? Because if you had to go, if the real assignment was greatest superhero ever from a comic book perspective, what do you even say? And we're the nerds. We should be able to come up with something. Well, let me ask you this. Let's start and let's try. The way that I would start is by saying... Let's name five female comic book characters who have been as influential as Catwoman. That's the first place we got to start. Because if we're going with that angle that you're talking about from a brand perspective, mm-hmm. let's figure where she ranks on there. Because those are the people that we're going to have to debunk and say that Catwoman's better than. Yeah. I mean, if you're just looking at straight influence, you can't say Supergirl because Superman is the influence there. Right. So Supergirl's out. Wonder Woman is not, though. She Ooh, is. Wonder Woman is, is riding strong right there. Uh, Captain Marvel, you could start to say now, but not before this. Right. So I would say Captain Marvel ranks below Catwoman. Yep. So she would be out of that now. I'm only going influence. Yeah, that's all I'm trying to think about. Because I'm, I'm trying to think when I see logos, uh, Harley Quinn. More, that's more recent, too, though. That's and true. it's a character that was that came from the cartoon. Yeah, not a hero, right. but but because of Suicide Squad and other th- not only the movie but the comics has become the anti-hero and also in Heroes in Crisis right now. So I would put her below Catwoman because of sheer time. Catwoman was introduced all the way back in Batman number one. I mean, she's been around from the get-go. I think we've got to go to the X-Men to find... Well, even then, Jean Grey, not influential. And you got Storm, not influential. No one's wearing those logos. Um, there's no real, there's, you know, She-Hulk, no one's wearing that. Electra, no one's doing that. So it, it is Cat, Cat Catwoman Woman and Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. And, but so between those two, Wonder Woman would probably have it because I see Wonder Woman stickers on cars and this was even before the movie. But if you just don't bring that up, okay, you can bring it up. Wonder Woman is the true genuine hero that people can look to, look up to from a hero perspective, Catwoman is the anti-hero. Who is the most predominant anti-hero that you can think of? Mostly Deadpool and how influential that is. So she's the female Deadpool from a anti-hero perspective. She doesn't break the fourth wall. She's not super funny or any of that, but it's a villain, as, as, as it was started as a cat burglar, who has become a heroine. I'll give you the, the anti-hero deal. Uh, Just to put her in front of Wonder Woman. Not to say that she's... I I would say Venom's classified in that camp also. I think he is now. All right. So let's go with that for a minute. Boy, this is tough. Isn't it? I don't consider Catwoman an anti-hero. I never have. Well, that's... If you look, that's... Because she has started to battle and it's the sirens and some of the stuff, she is doing good now. Oh, no, I get that. But I'm just saying, when you're... The first panel in every book I ever read is about you knocking off a museum to get some gigantic diamond. Mm-hmm. You're flawed. You're a villain. You're a little flawed. Every run-in that she ever has with Batman, who is her love interest and, mm-hmm. and somehow best friend and also most hated rival. Yeah. Really bizarre dynamic there. Every interaction they've ever had involves her committing a crime and Batman shutting her down. Could it be that she loves him so much and her heart is so big, this is how she can get him? 
you're making the Joker argument that Joker commits crimes for Batman to show up. Maybe he does. He's lonely. The Catwoman thing. She has no powers. You're breaking the assignment, though. But am I? Or am, or am I just taking a different avenue? Because I asked Sam, I was like, can you take this perspective? She's like, you can. I'm not. So I think if you got Catwoman, or if you got, gosh darn, heck, if you got Harley Quinn. I don't I don't know who the teacher distributed because she didn't really say. I mean, at least if you got Aquaman, you can. we could sit and do an Aquaman discussion and go pretty deep into it and come out going, okay, that's a reasonable argument. But you're taking a character with no powers at all, who is a really good burglar. Martial arts skills. Good martial arts skills. And that's really about it. There's no real moral compass. So I think I think for her to do well in her assignment, I think she has to take the perspective of greatest superhero ever when it comes to uh, cosplay and re- reaction. Well, that's a terrible heart. I don't know. I mean, what else are you going to do? I would say, okay, Catwoman does have a moral compass. I believe Catwoman operates under that same code that Batman does. No no killing. Yes. And also... Except I w- killing it in the gym. Boom. Exactly. Doing the rear end, you know. Now you had to make it weird. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the point is, Catwoman uh, does have that same sort of Batman code, and I would put this in my argument. I would ask the teacher to go right after your daughter goes and say that I've got the only person not named Robin or Alfred that has Bruce on speed dial. Yeah, so you've got the person that can help you out. Right. And I did ask you before the podcast began. I said, has Catwoman ever saved the world? Inadvertently, I told you. Yes. By assisting Batman. It is documented a billion trillion times. Well, we just talked about Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. She was instrumental yeah. in making sure that Batman had everything that he needed uh, or she provides distractions or whatever it takes so that Batman can save Gotham almost every time. she The comics start the same. She steals the Hope Diamond, or she's going to. Bruce shuts her down. People break in. They think Bruce and Catwoman are working together to steal stuff. Batman explains to Commissioner Gordon what happened. Then all of a sudden, uh-oh, there's a real villain threat. Uh-oh, Joker's here. What are we going to do? We shut Joker down with the assistance of... Uh, Catwoman every single time. So yeah. you can make that argument. That, that maybe you're not even shutting down as much if you didn't have that assistance. So so maybe through osmosis or through a relationship, she's the greatest hero ever because she was going to be the wife of the greatest hero ever, though Bane kind of spoiled that. Hashtag spoiler alert. I think your Batman friend's 50. doomed. I also think that the teacher probably didn't know a lot about comic book characters because I guarantee you what happened was the teacher threw out Thor and Hulk and Iron Man and Batman and, and you know, named the list of T-shirts you can buy at Target yeah. and then ran out of people and threw Catwoman in there. Maybe so, and I'd hate to know. So I know, the, since the kids don't know the other kids, we just happen to know this one. One kid was like, mentioned the desert for his hero. And I'm like, the desert? I don't even know what I would think of if I thought of the desert. Something I, in sand. I don't know what you're saying. It's like some kid, since you're not supposed to know who the characters are, so one of the kids in class is like, oh, the desert or sand was the description of the character they got. So I don't know who she's distributing, you know, what heroes that, that this teacher is distributing out. But for this one kid. Cheetah? Well, I, I thought it was like maybe Sandman or something. But if you, let's say, if, we hadn't thought about this, but if I'm the teacher. No way there's a cheetah. No, there's, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> there's no way. 
if I am the teacher for this and I don't know if I will keep Superman in the argument or not, or if I put it out there and then try to find ways, you know, make sure you make a compelling argument for this besides uh, he's great. Who, who, if you had 10 students, because I think it's like 15 kids in this class, who are the 10 people that you think could put up a legitimate argument for greatest superhero ever? Well, Batman. Yep. Superman. Or is he? So you, you can allow it. All right, Superman. Okay. Based, based upon podcast number two. Thor. Shazam was what I was going to say. Oh, no, Shazam. I just assumed. Yep. Thor. Thor. Okay. Uh, Green Lantern. Oh, okay. Hulk. Hulk. All right. Iron Man. Iron Man. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Wolverine. Okay. Aquaman. I think I think no one. Wonder had. Woman. Oh, Wonder Woman. So there's ten right there. Yeah. Even if you had five more, if we did do Aquaman and we did do Martian Manhunter, and you did Flash. F- oh, Flash. Jeez. Uh, uh, Cap. Yeah, Captain America. Yeah. And then let's just grab one more. Uh, anybody from the Fantastic Four? No. Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer. So there's 15 heroes out of the gate that trump most of any of those. So I almost feel like the teacher kind of threw a bad deal. And if that's, I'm curious who else got bad heroes. And I would love to go sit in on that just to see these kids present. Oh, Plastic Man? All right, here goes three minutes on why Plastic Man is the greatest hero ever. Yeah, well, check this out, though, man. Maybe we're not thinking about it. We're we're certainly thinking about it from one side. Yeah. So let's think about it from the other perspective. Maybe Batman's a bad choice. Because maybe somebody got Thor. Yeah. Right? Because I'm sure there are people that are going to have to make the argument that their superhero is the best superhero because of these powers. Yeah. Right? Because of these superpowers. Right. Granted to them by whatever, however they rolled up on Radioactive Spider. Yep. Guarantee you somebody's got Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh, sure. And if you are representing how awesome Batman is and why he's the best, and I'm representing how awesome Spider-Man is because he's the best... I think that I'm going to beat you with that. I think so. so. Certainly in the court of public opinion. So think about it from this regard. Maybe maybe your daughter's friend got Catwoman, and then maybe another one of her friends got, say... Um, Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn. Or Tony Stark. Right. So there's four non-powered. Or Black Widow or whoever. Yeah, so that's five. Falcon, six. I'm just thinking of purely non-powered superheroes. Who else is in there? Well, it's not a lot. Are there any X-Men that don't have powers? No, they, no they, every one of them has powers that I can think of offhand. Well, they're born mutants. Yeah. Does, so th- there's at least six non-powers right there. Does Beast have... Uh, Beast, yeah, absolutely. Is he strength or whatever? Strength, durability as well. Not like um, you know other people, but yeah, he's tough. He's got his claws. He's, uh, you know, can jump far, all these things. He's uh, very dexterous. Um so that, that was six just offhand. I'm sure we could think a little bit harder. I feel like there's a no oh, uh, Hawkeye, no superpowers. Hawkeye oh, Green Green Arrow. Yeah, but doesn't Hawkeye have some sort of like way exaggerated mm. vision or something? I mean, I think he can see well. I'm sure he had LASIK done at some point. <laughs> so and then Green Arrow, that's eight, just offhand. So that would have been a better one. Give all the kids non-powered heroes. And, and let them roll with that. A green arrow would have been another good one. Like, I'd like to hear that one. 
somebody argue that thing. Those, but unfortunately, that kid's probably just jumping onto Netflix and watching season one well, or gonna, two. You can have much to. They got the character pretty close. I thought in the comic book, he's way edgier and like has a really crappy attitude. Yeah. Yeah, he is very uh, brutish in that. So we'll see how my daughter does. Maybe next week I'll uh, I'll I'll do a report on on what grade she got. The cool thing is, if you dress up like your character, or if you dress up for it, uh, you get an extra five points in your presentation. And so I wear a different pair of superhero socks every day on the news. I don't have Batman socks for some reason, so I just ordered some Batman socks today. They will be here Wednesday. And then my daughter will just wear a pair of my socks. I was like, you know, Adam's got a real utility belt. You know, I was gonna say, uh, I have. Well, I have a, I have a lot of stuff she can't take to school. I know. I was like, the <laughs> utility belt number one can't take it. I have a lot of batarangs too, like various models of those that mm-hmm. are set up. I don't think you're getting into school with one of those. Probably is. Are any of them plastic? No, they're all metal. Real. Oh, look at you. No. But listen, before I had my kid, the first batarang I bought. It, when it got shipped to me, I told my wife I had had an apartment here in in town where we record this, and I said, "Babe, uh, she's my wife now. She's my girlfriend at the time." I said, "This is going to seem really weird, but I'm going to do this. I'm throwing this at the wall." <laughs> of course, <laughs> you have to. And I stuck it right in the sheetrock. Good for you. Yeah, but uh, you know what I do have? I have some shirts. I've had Batman shirts since I was a kid, and a bunch of them I can't wear anymore. If she needs a really cool Batman shirt like you can't find. Maybe, because she's going to wear at least a pair of socks. A shirt could probably help, and she gets an extra five points. Uh, the the thing that you shouldn't do if you're her friend Riley is not dress up like Catwoman. That would be highly inappropriate uh, for school. You could dress like Catwoman from 66. Like the black uh, suit with a little white fluff? No. no pur- purple. Uh, I'm thinking purple. a black cat. And, and I was just thinking about the, the mask. The mask. The tiny like Riddler style Before mask. she got overly sexed. Yeah, but they overly sexed her in the 66 show too. Mm-hmm. Like the movie Catwoman's really hot. Yeah. Which is, yeah, not to think about that now. Alright, let's move on before we get in trouble. Uh, there was a theory that came out a while ago that last week started to pick up some steam. Uh, I do a, a, a TV show on Saturdays that's a fun little lifestyle show with uh, two people who do a radio show together here in town. And they had talked about this on their show Friday, and they were all ready to throw this at me and you know, kind of get my take on it, and they thought they had something for me. And it was that Ant-Man could have ended the Avengers movie very quickly in the most bizarre <laughs> Fashion that this has now taken its toll on the internet. Ant Man could reduce. I feel like an idiot for just saying this theory. <laughs> would reduce himself down to a small size. Enter into Thanos through his butt, and then make himself big again when he's in there. <laughs> essentially, exploding Thanos as he gets bigger. And they were like, "What do you think about that?" And so in 30 seconds, I squashed it. Well, it has traction. And I, I mean, can't believe it, it has, has got traction. It has a load of traction, no pun intended. So uh, well, how'd you shut it down? I want to so know. here's the quickest way to shut it down. If you took an egg and you put it small and you put it inside of a brick and then you made that egg get big inside of the brick, what happens to the egg? Uh, it, it would implode on itself. Why? Because of the force and matter of the brick. The brick is so much stronger and tougher than the egg, the egg breaks every single time. Right. Well, in this scenario, Ant-Man's the egg, Thanos is the brick. 
He's so strong and so tough, as Ant-Man would get bigger in there, he's going to hit a wall or uh, a, a, a canal of some sort uh, that is stronger than he is, and he's going to smush himself in there, and then Thanos just poops him out later and goes, oh, I don't remember eating that. Well, that's how quick that theory gets shut down. I thought that you were going to say that Thanos had employed the help of yet another superhero, uh -oh. famous to the cast, King Shart. Oh, King Shart, <laughs> that's right. And King Shart had showed up prior to Ant-Man's arrival. Yes. And then just, boom, right out the right out the door he goes. That was it, yeah. He was, uh, he was shrunk down ahead of time. He's already in there, and he's ready for it. So I can't believe that this theory is making the rounds, that Ant-Man could essentially crawl up into Thanos' butt, make himself big, and kill Thanos. It just, I, I guess to the layperson, this is where I guess when you're super nerdy, it's like, what are these lay people thinking? But I guess at face value, it seems like that it has merit. What I read was that Ant-Man could expand within the quantum realm and take Thanos down, technically inside Thanos, but it was all a part of he would actually be in the quantum realm. I don't understand how it works, but that's the actual theory. Not The theory's not as, as simple as your friends were making the theory yeah. out to be. It involved a great deal of, uh, you know, quadrophysics time travel and not just an ant crawling into the butthole and exploding. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if he was able to reduce Thanos down and continually shrink in on himself, in on himself, in on himself, in on himself, all the way, and it just it never stops, then yes, you in theory would have beat Thanos. But who comes up with that theory? Like, is Red, that a Reddit user? I know, man, but the fact that people jump all over it and they're like, oh man, this might be a real thing. I know one question you wanted to ask, and I'd hate to jump to it if you're not done with this, but you were wondering earlier, uh, before we started taping, would the next Avengers movie make a billion dollars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Avengers movie's not making a billion dollars if the movie ends with a butt explosion. <laughs> uh, that you know, there's too much money invested, too much time, and a in a ensemble cast of real actors. So, but I think when it gets, let's just say, if it did start on Reddit, I'm just I'm just gonna make an assumption. I don't think they make it thinking that legitimately Marvel Studios should do this. Just if you're looking for a faster way to end the movie, hey, couldn't Ant-Man just crawled in his butt and then made himself big, and then wouldn't that wouldn't that have killed him? Uh, that's probably why he wasn't in the first movie. You know, just if you throw it out there, like because there's a lot of theories. Like we've sat around and kicked around various theories. The difference is, once you put it out there in the ether and onto the internets, then somebody finds it and runs with it. Oh, look what this person said, and then it just kind of spirals down from there. Well, Avengers was on. Um, one one day over the weekend, some movie channel, and like regular Avengers, like New Battle of New York, or oh no, Infinity War. Oh, okay, was on, and so anytime Infinity War is on, I've seen the movie. Gosh, I saw it twice in theaters. Mm -hmm. I've seen it. I own the movie. Yeah, but I stopped. There's nothing on television, so I stopped. And it's at the part that you mentioned on a prior podcast. Also, it's at the part where Thor shows up, mm -hmm. and boom. God, I love that scene. That is an awesome scene. And you have always said that if Thor hits him in the head, mm -hmm. that that's, that's it. It's over. Yep, game over. But he puts it in his chest instead. Seemed like a good shot. Yeah. I think Thor, or I think Thanos allowed that to happen. 
I don't think Thanos allowed him, you know, he wasn't planning on getting hit, but I think that Thanos was in control right there. See, I don't. I think Stormbreaker, isn't that the name of the new yeah. the hammer? I think it was more than he could have predicted. And because it, it's a god killer, you know, the, the, the strength of that, that hammer and axe. So I don't think he saw that coming. You ever seen Thor miss with the hammer? I've never seen Thor miss with the hammer. I've seen him throw the hammer at the sun and hit it, dude. Yeah, but I th- the difference is, I don't think Thanos thought he was going to miss. I think Thanos thought, oh, I got this. And then, you know, like you, you shoo a fly away. I think that's what he think. My guess is that that's what he thought that hammer was. It's just a gnat coming at him. Yeah, I got this. Thor still missed. Or was Thor aiming at his chest? I think he was aiming at his chest. I don't think Thor's a chest aimer, dude. That's where the heart is. I don't. Th- I mean, I, I don't. Thor's not like smashing heads and you know, like melons. He's not Gallagher. He would if it were Thanos. But I think you know that you're killing him with that shot, and he uh, really could have. Thor doesn't have the Batman code of murdering people. No. Well, in uh, Thor: The Dark World, at the very beginning of that, he does straight up kill that rock guy. That's what I'm people saying. People who thought it was Korg, it was not. So I guess I could see him killing people. Anyways, but you can't have a part two if that happens. Right. But on a future podcast, uh, maybe next week, we'll talk about uh, there was a thing that was out there: could Avengers make a billion dollars in its opening weekend? Uh, because now China is in play, and China's never been in play for the first weekend. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. I did want to mention, just as a, a quick little heads up, we're not going to spend much time on this. This week, uh, we've talked about on the podcast before, Major X comes out. It's Rob Liefeld's new uh, comic that he thought of back in the 90s. This comic does take place in the 90s with heroes you know, Deadpool and Cable and Wolverine and Beast and Storm and, and some other ones. Uh, I saw that he tweeted this week, it's already sold out. Before it hits stores, it is already sold out. And that's kind of a big deal. I don't know the last comic that was going into reprints before the first one came out. So he was just saying, whatever you see in stores this week, grab it because they're, they're not coming back. And when it does come back, it'll be second prints. I can't think of a comic that did that either. I was getting ready to throw some out there, but I think all the comics that I was going to throw out there, they go ahead and they print a million of them right off the bat. I was My first recent... My most recent comic that I was going to go to was Action 1000, but they printed a trillion billion of those. Yeah, because you're anticipating that. Right. And I bought I bought two. And here's the thing with Action Comics. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, Detective Comics 1000. I do have two of the other one, too. So when I went to the comic book store this past week, and Detective Comics 1000 is out, I got the Jim Lee cover because it's pretty legit. You get a front, you get a back. And then they have all the variant covers. So between all of those, and it's a $10 book. Right. DC's proud of the comic they named their company after. Right. And uh, as I looked at all these variant covers, the Greg Capullo one, and I like Greg Capullo a lot, weak, weak sauce cover. Wasn't very solid. It looks like, oh, uh, here, take this one. You it, follow him on Instagram? I do. I think he's putting too much time on other stuff, too. Like working out in the gym? Uh, and playing guitar. And playing guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he got to hang out with Scott Snyder over the weekend at WonderCon. Uh, so I only bought the regular issue, and then I bought the blank cover. So then I could get somebody to put that on there for me. Uh, same for uh, Detect or uh, Action Comics 1000 that you mentioned. Those are landmark issues. But beyond that, I don't know of another comic that has come out that has had this much hype around it. Honestly, for an artist, people don't necessarily love People make fun of him all the time for his inability to draw. His He's done some variant covers for some DC stuff, like a Superman and some other ones. They're not great, but I am looking forward to this. I already will have one or two pulled for me at the store that we go to. Will you read the books? 
and give us some kind of yeah, synopsis? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because number one, it takes place uh, in a you know in a time when I was reading those comics, and I have those. I have Deadpool's first appearance because I bought it brand new at the time. So it'd be kind of cool to go back and see what he what he does. Also, we get new characters. Number one. Major X, brand new character. And we're going to get some other new characters as well. So who knows what's going to happen with those. If you're not even a collector and you listen to this just because you think it's fun, go pick up that issue because you're guaranteed for a first appearance or two over the course of these five or six books. I can't remember how many there are. Just like if you bought Detective Comics 1000 that just came out, it's the first appearance of the Arkham Knight. Right. And you can also, uh, I should mention too, you can pick up the uh, that new X Men line BJ's talking about, and immediately put it on eBay for forty dollars and make thirty bucks on the. Cover. If you get a good issue, and if you want to take it up a notch, even find the best issue you can, immediately submit it to CGC. A nine eight or more, you have a hundred dollar book, just like that. You paid five dollars or less for the cover price, twenty five bucks for the CGC, or thirty. Let's say you're thirty five bucks in, you could sell that thing for a hundred dollars if you're a nine eight or above. Well, and just think about all the midtown variants and all the crap that nobody has access to. I know, and, and Rob had actually been putting out some variants that he had already done himself for Deadpool, like a, like Deadpool issue, whatever has got Major X on the cover. So at least pick that one up and and have a book that's probably going to be worth some money here very quickly. The Power Five. Power Five is where we're going today, and we're switching to the land of music. Okay. We want to do the top five greatest shows that you've been to, that you have witnessed, you have seen in person. Am I up? Uh, yeah, I was first last week. You're up first this week. Or if you want me to go first, I can. No, I'll knock it out. I've got them in order. You got them in order? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. And I do not have honorable mentions. Okay. I just went. Maybe straight. at the end of it, we can mention a couple of things that we liked as well. Fair enough. And uh, we are, and we're music guys. Like our part of our regular lives, or we do radio and have done radio for a lot of years. So we like this stuff. Van Halen, Charlotte, North Carolina, and this would have been two thousand four, two thousand five. You should be able to Google this and find it easily. Okay. I have a couple of takeaways from this show. Mm-hmm. Who's who's fronting it? Is it is it David Lee Roth? David Lee Roth. Okay. So that's why I have the ticket and a really good seat too because okay. Diamond Dave is coming All back. Right. For some reason, unbeknownst to anybody, they're doing like a fifty date world tour, and that's and and you can tell by the way it's shaping up that they're going to add dates. Mm-hmm. This is massive. David Lee Roth hadn't played with Van Halen in years. Okay. Guess where they're starting the world tour? Charlotte. Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. Why that's a thing, I have a no idea. I think they played Charlotte and Greensboro and maybe another date and immediately disbanded and didn't finish the tour. Okay. Also, the first tour, uh, you just have to check the dates and the timeline, but this, I believe, was the first tour with Wolfgang. Oh, playing uh, bass yeah. instead of Michael Anthony. So he's in the band, and that was really cool, too. The biggest, the show was incredible. Uh, Eddie did all that stuff where he lays on his back, plays eruption, blows smoke mm-hmm. rings, was doing, played with his shirt off the whole time. It was really cool. Yeah. My biggest takeaway was that they leave, everybody cheers, we're getting an encore. There's one song they haven't done. They haven't done Jump. Oh, okay. He doesn't play the guitar anymore, whatever that thing right. is. They do a backing track. All right. So you get the synthesizer, the bum, bum, bum. You get that on yeah. the backing track. They did not run that backing track at Soundcheck. And they started that track, and, like, everybody's ears start bleeding. 
Like, people, we're ducking and covering our heads, oh. dude. It was horrific. Oh, no bueno. People were screaming and stuff. Sure. But Eddie and those guys, they have no clue. They're wearing monitors and yeah, stuff. Yeah, they can't hear that. They're just up there jamming out, and it was just a wall of awfulness for, yeah. like, five minutes. But the show was incredible. All right, let me, quickly, I'll tell you, I saw Van Halen once. Okay. I saw VH3, fronted by Gary Sharon. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, because I had free tickets. Went to go see this. It was terrible. Right. It was terrible. The The highlight of the show was Gary Sharon is uh, taking like his microphone thing and he's swinging it around and he throws it up in the air. Now, this is not like it's it's almost like the little short microphone staff yes. throws it up in the air and he misses it on the way down and clocks himself at the top of oh, the head of the, the forehead. The Novoselic. Uh Yes. And now he's bleeding all over the place, <laughs> and they're in the middle of a song. So he's got to go off stage. So the highlight of the show is while he's getting patched up by paramedics backstage that you can't see, they just continue to play. Oh, yeah, Eddie's got to so go. So that gives Eddie the chance to go out there and just... So like for five or six or seven or however long it is, they're just playing. And then finally, Gary comes out like a champ. I'll give him that. And he finished the show. To your point. I could have seen Van Halen in various forms and fashions for a, a whole lot of times. I could have seen him yeah. a dozen times or more. I only went to that one because David Lee Roth was playing. He was getting back together. And I remember even telling a buddy of mine on the way to Charlotte, like, man, they're probably not going to make it the whole time. And they didn't. Yeah. Because they, it was like two weeks or something. It was a really short run. But it was cool. For what it is, it's like a colorful – like, let's be real clear. I'm not leaving here listening to – you know, Panama on the way home when we're right. done with the podcast. Yeah. I just, I'm a guitar guy though, yeah. and I'm like, man, Gotta I owe it to myself to Eddie. Yeah. They also, with that show, did Drop Dead Legs, which is killer. 1984, great album. Uh, number four for me was Clapton, and I've seen him five or six times, but the show I remember was what? I was going to, what, what you don't know about Adam is that this list ahead of time. Five out of five was was Eric Clapton. It was going to be Eric, and it was Eric Clapton. This was a better performance from Eric Clapton, but whatever. So, I'm surprised he's number four. This is the one that I chose. I chose the show that I saw him do in Charlotte, maybe ten years ago. Okay, we'll say in that range. But he had decided on that tour that he was going to have three guitars. He he being one of those, mm -hmm. and then he was going to have two people with him. He chose uh, Doyle Bramble. Okay, the second. And he chose Derek Trucks. Nice. Now, the reason that he chose Derek Trucks is because when he went out on this tour, he decided that he wanted to play all of the Derek and the Dominoes stuff. That's cool. Like, the basically the entire album. He doesn't do that much. Mm -hmm. uh, that's Layla and us other sort of love songs. And so that show was really cool. And uh, with Derek Trucks is as close as you can get to Dwayne Allman. Does he open that show? Because isn't it like Tradashi Trucks or whatever? Is this before that even? Uh, it wasn't before that because I... Well, I'll tell you what. I don't think it was Tradashi Trucks band then. Yeah. I think they were together maybe as a couple yeah. or something. Uh, but Derek Trucks was the Derek Trucks band. I got you. If you remember that. Yeah. Like way back when. Because sometimes they'll they'll open that show... And then they'll just he'll you know the guitarist stage moves, yeah and do the next thing. I've seen that show too. This was not one of those. Okay. This was lights go out, lights come on. They're all out there, and you're getting motherless children or something rad. Gotcha. And I, uh, I'm a bit of a historian. Well, that's the wrong word. I just appreciate 
the history. Yeah. Like to me, I see Eric Clapton standing out there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, man, you were, you know, you're were blues breakers, and you were Delaney and Bonnie and Yardbirds, and you were in Cream. Yeah. You know, like to me, that's really cool. Uh, number three on my list, all oh, Roger Waters. Okay, yeah, giant Pink Floyd fan. This is I figured. The, well, it's the most recent show that I've seen. Okay. Uh, I, I went to Greensboro and I took my brother to, which maybe that it means something to. I have a brother that's way younger. This is his first concert, and he's a huge Pink Floyd fan too. And I'm not a Roger Waters fan, so mm-hmm. I, I want to just get that out of the way right off the bat. But from the you know historical standpoint, it's the same deal. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, you wrote money. Like, you wrote us and them. Like, you're responsible for everything Pink Floyd. Right. Now, yes, David Gilmore's not there. And I am there because I want to hear somebody else play all of David Gilmore's solo parts. Yeah. But I will say with Roger Waters, you get the Pink Floyd show. Mm-hmm. He did three or four songs off of Animals, which is not a thing anymore. If you're like a Pink Floyd nerd, you'll know that that's really cool. And they had the set pieces. So you get the laser show and you get... Giant inflatable pigs. You get the pigs that are flying around the arena, and that was a great show. So just this made me think of one thing. You said that was your brother's first show. Yeah. Like, real show. Yeah. What was your first real concert? I don't want to tell you. I would love to hear it. Man, this is embarrassing, bro. Great. That's I'm glad I asked. I was eight years old. Okay. And my mom took me. My mom loves music. And we we saw... um, we saw Trisha Yearwood and Vince Gill. Bro. Hey, what's wrong with that, man? God, it's a garbage. It's not that's garbage. All right. It's just not cool. And that's uh, that's the future Mrs. Garth Brooks. Yeah, but what if my mom would have taken me around this? This would have been like 91 or okay. something, maybe. Like, what if my mom takes me instead to see, I don't know, Guns N' Roses? Which would have been cool. My sister's first concert was Sean Cassidy. That's uh, worse than mine. And I will tell you, my parents never took me to shows. Now, I I don't recall my parents ever doing anything like this, but they have great stories of stuff before me and my sister were born about going to see Joe Cocker and seeing some of the... They're, like, oh, they're, wow. they're fans of all this yeah. stuff. Like they, We had Led Zeppelin albums in the house. So I didn't get to go to a real concert until um, I was older. And the first one I ever went to was Hootie and the Blowfish. That's a good show. At the time, it was huge because uh, Cracked Review was was the album. It did like it was a diamond album, ten million sold, and it was at the Coca Cola Lakewood Amphitheater in Atlanta. A uh, regional band called Jolene opened up out of uh, South or North Carolina, one of the Carolinas, and that was the show. I had like seventeenth row. I took a girl uh, that I knew in high school, and uh, we went to go see that show. And Wait. then from there, got into radio a few months later, and it all changed. Well, think about this for a minute. I hate to derail the conversation. Maybe this is a podcast in its own right. Hootie and the Blowfish, you smiled, and you said that was some form of humiliation. But You, you know, I, I like them. You have to think, though. Blues Traveler, Dave Matthews Band, mm-hmm. the, the stuff that was out then that was considered pop music, you shouldn't be embarrassed by going to see that there's people up there playing instruments. Because oh, yeah. somewhere right now, there's a, a dude that's going to be a super rock and roll nerd 15 years from now, and his first show was Kesha. Yes. You know, or something like that. Yeah, so don't feel I, bad I, I about feel it. I feel you. So the second best show I've ever seen in a theater whose name I can't remember, but it's on Green Street in Greensboro, North okay. Carolina. After I saw Clapton play that show with Derek Trucks and Doyle Bramble the second. I was reading one of those newspapers. Uh, what's it called back home? Like a creative loafing type thing? Yeah, it's one of those where it's like, I think it's called Surge. Okay. Like for oh, real. Yeah, yeah. You know, like one of those. 
I'm reading that, at that and uh, I pick it up at a restaurant or something, and I see Doyle Bramble II is coming to play this little theater. And you now, just saw him, yeah. And I just saw him, and he was so awesome at guitar, I had bought his album. Had this song on it called Greenlight Girl and another one called Cry. And I told my buddy, and he was in a band prior to that called The Archangels. And, I, and, and, and side note, his dad, Doyle Bramble Sr., played with Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, SRV. So, Drums, right? No, no. He wasn't the drummer. He was the bass player? Yes. Uh, well, But he could play everything. Gotcha. So he's kind of credited to a lot of stuff. So I tell my buddy Drew, I'm like, man, that guy we saw with Clapton, he's coming to this little theater. We need to go. Maybe 150 people there. J.J. Mm. Uh, J. Johnson was playing drums. You know J.J.? Yeah, everyone knows Triple J. That's No, I've never heard of him. Uh, John Mayer? No. Nah. The thing is, like, of course I know John Mayer, but like, I can't tell you all the people who play with him. Oh. That's, that's what separates you from everyone else. You're the music nerd. Who like oh so and so on bass this guy on keys the dude who plays triangle for Mayor is one of the best triangle players in the nation. Well, JJ is as far as drummers go, he is drummer for hire, and and if your his name's not Neil or Phil Collins or whatever, he's probably the highest paid drummer there is. Because that Dave Matthews uh, drummer Carter yes uh, was like that same way one of the few drummers anyone ever, would ever know. Well, they're playing a three-piece, Bramble is, at this thing. They're doing a trio, so he's doing some Hendrix and stuff. And at one point during the show, and I'm sitting in a folding chair like 12 <laughs> feet away from him, and I'm getting blasted in the face by his amplifier yeah. sound. It's awesome. He stops, and he tunes his guitar, and he looks up. He goes, everybody having a good time? And some people are like, yeah. And he goes, uh, anybody want to hear a song? And the place was just silent, and I go, can you play cry? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, uh, absolutely, man. Guys, let's do cry. Uh, yes, I can, ma'am. Uh, and, I, <laughs> and dude, it was the coolest thing. Like, I've never been uh, in a situation that wasn't like, you know, when the artists do radio tours? Yeah. They don't do that here where, where uh, BJ and I are. But in larger markets, they'll come through and they'll do a radio tour. It felt like that. Yeah. But he was... But it didn't feel like a radio tour. He's I not there you. to kiss anybody's ass or anything. Yeah. Like he's there playing music, mm -hmm. man. And the fact that he just looked up and was like, "Does anybody want to hear something?" I just thought was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Can I take a guess at what I think Adam's number one artist is? Sure. Go ahead. Does it start with a J and end with a Mayor? I've never seen John Mayer. What? That's why seeing John Mayer in Charlotte what? is such a big deal to me. Oh man, like he's your he's your boo. He is. But I will tell you this, my number one artist isn't an artist uh that I am like a super fanboy of. Yeah. But the experience is something I'll never forget. And it's, okay. Uh, I've told you about this before, but it's Bruce Springsteen in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that's right. I went to the motherland you did. to see Bruce play and it was dude. You ever gone to a college football game? Like you're a big Georgia Bulldogs fan. Yep, I am. You ever seen the Bulldogs play on the road? I have. Say so, so. Say you go to Gainesville or you go to Baton Rouge or wherever you go to uh, Tuscaloosa, wherever mm -hmm. you go to see the Bulldogs play. And the first thing you notice when you're in an unfamiliar college football setting, at the kickoff, everybody is doing some weird hand some, symbol for their school, and there's some sort of chant. And when they get a first down, there's some sort of weird chant that they do. Well, at a Springsteen show, that happens. Okay, It's like going to church or something. I gotcha. And I'm at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. I've never seen Springsteen You're before. at the Tabernacle. That's right. Yeah. I am. And, dude, they are, like, there's parts in the songs where he'll just stop singing. And he's, like, looking over it. At the time, uh, Clarence Clemens was still alive, the sax player. Uh -huh. He'll look over at little Stevie Van Zandt. 
And Stevie looks back over at him, and then all of a sudden, everybody in the crowd raises their fist in the air, and they're all going, oh, oh, <laughs> and I'm like, what is happening? But it was the coolest thing I've that's ever cool. experienced. I like that. that, that is, but that's my list. I like That's a good list. All right, so here's my power five of the five greatest shows that I have been to. Mostly these, I'm a fan of all three of these, or I'm sorry, all five of these, one a little less than others, but you'll see. Number five for me is a band called Jump Little Children. And the reason why they're on my list at number five is because it's, you know, I I mentioned I I didn't start seeing concerts until I was, you know, the college age or whatever. And this band did end up with a recording contract with Atlantic Records. But it's a five or six piece where the lead singer plays acoustic guitar, electric, electric guitar. There's a cello player. There's an upright bass player. There is uh, a you know the drummer, and then there's also a guy who plays the uh, melodica, which is like the the one you blow into that has the keys on yeah, it, yeah, yeah. and harmonica. And so it's like this: the first time I'd been to like a college show with all the energy of you're with you know 18, 19, 20 year olds or whatever, and the the band on stage is having as much fun as the people in the audience who are there to see. That's them. important. Yeah. And seeing these guys, and I was fortunate, I was doing radio at the time, and we played some of these songs uh, because we were an awesome alternative station uh, that could play regional music if you wanted to. And I just was blown away at the experience because I'd never seen or experienced anything like it. So that's why they're going to be my number five. Still okay. listen to their songs to this day, and when I do, it feels kind of college Yeah, I get that. Uh, so that's why they're no- my number five. Number four for me is one of the biggest bands in the world. And they put on a show that almost can't be rivaled at this point beyond like bands that are even bigger than them. I know who it is. Who? It's the Foo Fighters. Not the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters did not make my list. Oh, wow. And the reason why the Foo Fighters didn't make my list is because I've only seen them live once. It was a co-headlining tour with them and the Chili Peppers. I missed the first like 15 minutes of the show. As I was doing radio stuff, I was packing up some you know broadcast sure. stuff and got in there. And at the time, it's like 2000 or 2001. Now they're doing three-hour sets, yeah. and it's just bananas. That's that monkey wrench jam. Yes. Yeah. So it was great. Doesn't make my top five. Okay, sorry. It's Muse. Mm. Look up a Muse show on the internet. It has so many moving parts. It's almost like a Pink Floyd show. To where, like, the and I could take any Muse show and... And then put it into this list if I wanted to. But the one in particular was one where they would go and step on these platforms. And then these platforms would rise like 30 feet in the air. And like all, and they all light up and lasers are happening. That's the Floyd stuff. Yeah, Matt Bellamy's guitar has a laser on it. And as he does his thing, it's moving all around. Like all this crazy stuff is happening. Video screens. Like it's just a show where it would really wouldn't even matter what they're playing. The spectacle of what it is is what makes it amazing. Uh, they have cool songs, you know, that are all about rebellion and things like that these days and, and Big Brother or whatever it happens to be. But the show itself is spectacular, and they amp it up every single year. So the muse for me is number four. Number three is going to be a giant eyebrow raise, and I get it, but it's a band called Marvelous Three. They were a band called the Floyds in Atlanta before they became the Marvelous Three. I happen to be at a Jump Little Children show, and I'm there broadcasting live, and the opening band isn't there yet. 
two of the members are out of the three. The lead singer, Butch Walker, you might know Butch Walker's name because now he's like a super producer. He's produced for Pink and wrote songs like he has made his money now being Butch Walker. He's the lead singer of this band. He's not here. His plane just landed in Atlanta. He'll be here right about showtime. I don't even know who this band is. And they're about to go open up for one of my favorite bands. Oh, this is probably going to suck. What I don't know is he's landing after signing a deal in New York for their record deal. He comes in. They sign the deal. He's super excited. They proceed to put on a 45 or 50 minute long set that was just anarchy on stage, but not Sex Pistols anarchy. Just three dudes having fun at the, it was like, we got, we got like 10 minutes left, guys, and we are all out of songs. So um, I don't know. What do you want to do? So he looks at the other guy and goes, hey, you want to bring back synchronized guitar playing? He goes, yeah, I think we should bring back synchronized guitar playing. And I think, oh, why would you not have extra songs prepared? <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of. Of course, they have this whole routine worked out that I don't know about because I'm the naive guy or whatever. He goes, let's do it. One, two, one, two, three, four. And then they start doing. And they're playing together. They're moving together from both sides of the stage. And they're going back and forth, Chuck Berry stuff. And they have this whole routine worked out which might sound kind of corny to hear it, but just in the the, the fun and the angst of, sure. of what was happening. The atmosphere. It was amazing. Yeah. It's so good. I introduced Jump Little Children, because that's what you do sometimes when you're the radio guy. Ladies and gentlemen, Jump Little Children. I saw two songs and was so impressed by Marvelous 3 that I left Jump Little Children. <laughs> Didn't even bother to see the rest of their show because you weren't going to top what that was. That's awful. So that's why they're number uh, three on my list. Number two is the Stone Temple Pilots. Oh. I've seen them a handful of times, but the occasion that stands out to me, it's 2000. I'm in Anaheim, California. I'm at uh, a radio station festival called Weenie Roast. And at this festival is Incubus. It is uh, No Doubt. It is Lit. It's Everclear. It's Moby. It's Creed. It's Limp Bizkit. It's Stone Temple Pilots. That's a massive and, and that's just some of it. Cypress Hill is playing. Ozzy comes out and does a song later on. Like, it's just like this craziness. And everyone gets 30 minutes or 45 minutes, depending on how big of a band you are. And they have a rotating stage. So as soon as one band is saying, all right, thanks, the the stage is rotating. And when it gets halfway around, the other band's already on the other side. Like, what's up, everybody? And they start playing. So it's just music, 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 music. STP plays just through the midway point. Offspring's on this show as well. Scott Weiland is in a dress, like a, almost like a miniskirt dress thing well, he was with weird, weird bright orange hair. Yeah. And he comes out and like, what is going on? And he proceeds to show everyone what a front man is and what a front man's job is and how to get out there and entertain and put on a heck of a show, do your job and sound like the record. Because I hate to go like, you know who else is on that bill? Three, uh, Third Eye Blind. You know who doesn't sound like the record? Third Eye Blind. Mm-hmm. It's it's they, There's actually a backing band behind Third Eye Blind that you can't even see. We could because the stage was rotating. And you see a band here, a partition, a band there. But when that thing flipped around to face you, all you saw was the front band. You couldn't see the other guys behind them. That's, how the, that's what they got to do. I've always thought that if you were to, um, my brother, for example, who's younger, well younger, and he says, hey, man, what is 90s alternative rock all about? Like, where should I start? 
I've always felt like STP was one of the bands that you would be like, here, man, check this sound out. Because they kind of encompass a little bit of everything. They did. They, they're they kind of, uh, they, they rock as, almost as hard as like Alice in Chains. You know, they mm-hmm. get there. Mm-hmm. They have a little bit of the Pearl Jam uh, songwriting style. You know, maybe Wyland borrowed a little bit sure. from, oh, yeah. uh, from Vetter too. But as far as like, if you're just measuring hits, Man, STP, I could listen to that stuff all day long. I still think the acoustic version of Plush is awesome. An all timer. They also took chances too. That you know, as they progressed, that it was you know not as grungy as You're other right. bands just kind of where other bands just kind of mellowed out. I felt like STP did take some chances. I'm not saying they're going in the Rock Hall of Fame or anything, but uh, Scott Weiland in that performance just slayed it. And then the other times that I saw him was still excellent, but nothing blew me away like that. Well, unfortunately, he battled his demons he did you know and, for a and, long time and so he's up on my list number one on my list of the greatest show i've ever seen and i do really enjoy this guy at the time i knew a couple of songs maybe three or four and that was about it i went because i was dating this chick who i was hoping to um have a good evening with and she wanted to go see this show opening the band opening the show was atari teenage riot the worst thing i've ever heard in my life followed by the cardigans which was an amazing delight. The lead singer of that band uh, sounds just as good live as she does in person on the album. Then followed by Beck. Beck comes out. And again, I'm only there because the girl that I'm with. And he is in like a leisure suit of some sort. And he has, if you've seen Iron Man 2 with when Sam Rockwell comes walking out on stage and he's got that little James Brown thing going on. Imagine an hour and 15 minutes of that in the mid-90s. Is this like loser era? This is just after loser. So this would have been 1996 or 7. Probably 97. Might have been... uh, so Odelay was definitely, you know, came out. Oh, Beck was on fire. So man. this should have been Odelay. Mellow Gold would have been loser. And so he comes out and he's doing his thing. And from the get-go, he's got a horn section. And he's got all like this this super like wall of sound, but it's all this fun stuff. And he's like, everybody ready to have a good time tonight? And I'm like, oh, man, I feel like I'm at church. We're going to have ourselves a big musical orgy. Who wants to have a musical orgy tonight? Because that's what I'm going to be doing. And he's a weird cat, too. He is. And then he does this sort of James Brown shuffle stuff, and he's singing the songs. And it was just fun. At one point, uh, for the not even the encore, they like left the stage, and then they come back, and everyone's got a different animal head on. Like a giant animal head, the drummer, the the, the sa- like all these different people. Not the course the saxophone, or certainly those, unless it fit through the mouth, maybe. Uh, and so, like, you're like, what is going on here? And then, like, this b- a banana stuff starts to happen, and the whole time you you felt like you were experiencing something, right? And it was just enjoyable. The music was awesome. I knew three songs going in. I came out going, this is the greatest show I've ever seen. That's Springsteen at the Garden. I didn't yeah. know any of it. Not yeah, I mean I knew everything off the Born to Yeah, whatever Born the hits are. album. But then after that, I'm like, I gotta have more of it. Yeah. And so because of that, I never want to see him again. I get that. Because there's no way he's gonna live up to that. Regardless if if it really was that good or if it wasn't, I know he's not doing that now. And so because of that, I can't see it. I did have a couple honorable mentions. I saw the Foo Fighters. I've seen Pearl Jam a lot. Those are different types of shows. But from a visual perspective, too, I've seen U2 a couple of occasions. 
And every time I see it, Bono always sounds good. And the stage setup is always amazing. I never saw the Claw show. That stage setup was so amazing. They had three different versions of the Claw. Those now reside in other places as permanent fixtures at venues. I've heard the same thing. A buddy of mine saw the uh, Zootopia tour, Mm -hmm. and I've heard that that was just a colorful spectacle. They're great. I saw one, we just called it the heart tour because uh, there was a lot of visuals on stage, but there was this giant heart that was in the middle of the floor, and you could sit in the heart if you got those tickets. And Bono and they would walk out in the shape of that heart and walk around. Uh, but I did see the, I only call it the honeycomb tour because I don't know what else to call it. They had this massive thing that would come down. It looked like a honeycomb, but it was video boards and stuff. It was like, I don't know how much money it costs to make that stuff. Man, that might have been Zootopia. Now nah, this, this, I mean, Muse opened up that show. Oh, okay. So this was, this was before, this was like after 2000s. Okay, okay. And, but that show was also crazy too. So I, I like those, but then I've been to shows where it, it's just been one dude that could hold the audience in the palm of his hand because of how great of a singer he was or how compelling he was with his words. And so you could hear a pin drop in certain songs, and I enjoy those moments as well. But those are my top five for the Power Five. I did honorable mentions, too, because you said two things, and I only have uh, two, really, I guess, three separate acts. Um, But for fun factor, Mm -hmm. I I thought about, I took my mom to a concert for Mother's Day. She's a huge Journey fan. Okay. Right? So this is probably 10, 12 years ago. The Filipino guy. Sure, yeah. They were great. But opening on that tour were Heart and Cheap Trick. Wow. Heart and Cheap Trick killed it. And I mean Cheap Trick only played for probably 40 minutes. I hear they're great. They're unbelievable. They did Surrender. and I, I They could have played Surrender for six hours. Yeah. And I would have sit there and watched that whole thing. And then the other one, a band that you know, but I saw... Uh, a side project at a little place in Winston-Salem. It was called Ziggy's at the time. It's not there anymore. Maybe 400 people at this show. Maybe in a venue that held, I don't know, a thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad, which is the Pearl Jam yeah, side Jam. project. That's Stone Gossard's side band. Yeah. They were incredible. That's cool. Uh, yeah, and, and honestly, I feel like you know I'm going to go back and go, oh, I forgot this. Oh, I forgot that. But just those were the five shows for me and your honorable mentions and the five shows that jumped to mind for us now. But it could always change again. And I'm looking forward to finding the next show that makes its way into my top five. Me too. I don't know when that's going to be, but I'm always looking. All right. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, Follow us. So so make sure you subscribe so they just populate on their own. Uh, Make sure you rate us so other people can find us as well. Tell people about us so uh, you can listen. Uh, And if you got stuff you want, visit our website, which is uh, no, I don't live in my parents' basement.podbean.com. You can leave comments there as well. If there's something you want us to talk about, do that. We're also on the Instagram at uh, no basement and then on the Twitter at no basement pod. Until next time.